Hello and welcome to the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, where we talk about philosophy from the farm. I know it's been a while, but we are still bringing you our end-of-the-year wrap-up of our favorite books of 2021. We are joined today by Scott Hebert, and he'll come in with his favorite 2021 books, just as I will. I hope you have at least one or two great ideas for your 2022 reading list by the time we're done. So without much further ado, I hope you enjoy our 2021 Best Books episode. Recording in progress. Sorry. Scott Hebert, welcome back to the show. And FYI, so my plan uh, for everyone listening so you can enjoy this is we're going to be putting this both on the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast since those poor guys haven't gotten much content from me this year and on Suit Philosophy. So you're on both shows simultaneously. Worldwide, wide, wide. Uh, on the Terrence Leahy Network. Nice. Perfect. Yeah, you got a whole thing going on now. All right. Well, Scott, thank you for joining me to talk about our favorite books of 2021. So just generally, did you read more in 2021 than you did in 2020? No, no. Last last year, I didn't read that much. And I probably read about the same, to be honest. Um, I felt like I tried to choose books that I was like really... I guess you don't know if a book's going to be impactful until it's done, but I try to choose ones that I thought had the potential to be impactful as opposed to just like grinding, grinding, grinding. What about you? Well, as you know, when it comes to me, I just grind, grind, grind on books. (laughs) You know, I I had one of those things. I keep a bulleted list and I was talking with someone. They're like, well, why didn't you do it numbered? I'm like, oh, that would have been a smarter choice. Um, So I just switched over to numbers. I have read... 18 nonfiction books this year, and I have read 38 fiction book fiction Damn. books. That's crazy. It's a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of them are audiobooks. Shocking, not surprisingly, a lot of them are pulp books yeah. that I won't actually be talking about this year because we're talking about the best books of the year, and I love pulp, but this year none of them came close to the same as the rest of the books I'm choosing. Scott. What is your first best book of 2021? Um, the first best book that I read is called Daily Rituals by Mason Curry. It's a book that I've actually had in on my phone because I, I have it as an audiobook. Mm-hmm. And I've had it for years and years, actually. I think I probably first listened to it in like 2016, 2017 type of thing. Um, but it's one that uh, really hit home for me again this year as I've been trying to figure out how to be an artist. Um, Daily Rituals is a book and this guy, Mason Curry, he started a blog and he was uh, actually procrastinating, I think. And he was trying to figure out like what the best type of daily routine was. And so he started looking up um, different people throughout history's daily routines. So there could have been like uh, musicians, philosophers, artists, writers, doesn't matter. Just famous people throughout history tried to find out their routines and um, made it into a blog and then uh, took that blog and made it into a book. And so each chapter is a different person. And um, yeah, I think for me this year, as I was trying to figure out how to be an artist and what that meant, this book really provided with uh, me with some clarity again, because most of these guys and ladies only really worked on their stuff uh, for like three to five hours a day, max. Mm -hmm. And um, before that, I would have thought that like being a professional artist or like being a professional writer would have like, um, you would have had to put in way more hours, but I think it gave me a much better um, command and respect for what I need to do ahead. So that's why I put it on here again this year. It's just like, it was one of those ones where I like, I, it just hit home for me. Mm -hmm. I, you've sent me the book. I actually started listening to it. I didn't end up finishing it yet. I think in part because it just throws me off the Tim Ferriss narration, but, uh, it's a good book. I'm definitely looking forward to reading it more. Um, what's nice is because it is on audible. I mean, there's pretty bite-sized chapters. You can just sit down and listen to a couple at a time. Uh, is yours Tim Ferriss is reading it? Yeah, Tim Ferriss is reading mine. Oh, no, and I'm like, think... I'm so thrown off by it. No, I no, mine, I don't think it's Tim Ferriss. You Canadians. I gotta, I gotta check. Well, because I bought it a really long time ago, so it's not even I even bought it on uh I used to use iBooks before <gasps> I knew it. I oh maybe. Oh no, I don't know. It doesn't say. But I don't think it's Tim Ferriss that's reading mine, but that's really funny. He um he produced it. He put it out. That's yeah. how I found out about it. That's I think that that's why he does the audiobook narration, at least on Audible. Totally. Yeah, man. Get his name behind it, sell more copies. It's a it's a good book, though. It's not, it's there's no 
There's no, um, it's just straight though, people's routines. It's just like WH Auden, boom, Beethoven, boom. Um, there's no like um pontificating, is that the right word? Yeah, he's oh. not expositing on why this is good yeah. for you. He's just saying this is the crazy thing. Said I don't remember if I got to the Benjamin Franklin point, but Benjamin Franklin used to take naked air baths. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's hard. Okay, I was going to say, I hope that he referred to that. Yeah, it's uh, somebody did them. I, I don't know if it was Benjamin Franklin, but yeah, he talks about uh, he talks about lots of stuff. Lots of the guys are doing drugs all the time. Like, there's so many. They're doing amphetamines and barbiturates. I don't even know what the, what the barbiturates is, but there's so many people that do them. I'm like, well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was really interesting to see, though, uh, just people's different routines and, like, what they needed to do. And, like, yeah, just, uh, it, like I said, it cleared some stuff up for me. Mm-hmm. So speaking of writing and creative practice... Uh, this is actually a book I substituted at the last minute for a different one because uh, this is the one I actually found that I want to go back and re-listen to. Mm-hmm. Murder Your Darlings and Other Gentle Writing Advice from Aristotle to Zinser by Roy Peter Clark. Now, I had read uh, one of his other books, which is probably his more popular one, Writing Tools. Mm-hmm. But what's cool about this book is basically it's a bibliography of other books about writing. What he did was he just picked like his favorite writing advice that he's gotten from other books, but he picked like he picked all the books he enjoyed reading and then picked the best of the writing advice he liked from it. And so it's an essence of bibliography with commentary as to why he likes this particular author writer or the book about writing. I just threw out a couple of the points I really liked, uh, which was learn the steps of the writing process. Good writing is not magic, but it's full of surprises. Basically just, yeah, it's a process. Once you learn the process, occasionally you'll be surprised by it. But at the end of the day, it's not this supreme uniqueness of I sit in front of the page and then the muse leans over and speaks to me. I mean, sometimes that's what happens, but it doesn't unless you go through the process and learn the skills. Yeah, that's cool. That And just the general, like the title he picks from Murder Your Darlings is actually writing advice uh, from uh, Professor Q something. I can't remember his name, but basically the premise is don't be too precious with what you've written. So like he gave a Stephen King quote. So the the Stephen King quote is kill your darlings. Oh, okay. And that's, I I know, I know. Well, it's very specific because King took that quote from this guy who said British teacher in Oxford that said, murder your darlings. Okay. So like, that's the unique thing about this too. You're like, this is something you've heard, but you haven't heard it like this before. Totally. That's really neat. That's a good idea for a way to, that's a really good idea for a book actually. Mm-hmm. Is to take everybody else's like best ideas and put them into chapters. Well, and he gave the example. So, and he goes through and like gives examples. He's a professional writer. Uh, he had for murder your darlings. He gave the example of he was supposed to get his commencement speech, and yeah. he's like, "So I murdered my mother." And then went, goes on to explain that he had like this huge long couple of pages about stories about his mom, only to realize none of this actually helps the point that I'm making. It's beautiful yeah. text. It's beautiful prose, but sorry, mom, you're out of there. Yeah. You know what? I've been editing a video um, and I did it. There's a YouTuber named Mr. Beast mm-hmm. and he like, he's like really popular. I'm sure everybody knows. Uh, My little brother. I, yeah. Everybody's seen a Mr. Beast video pretty much, I but um, he's got really tight editing. Like, it's just like, it's super tight. There's no waste. If the video is called like um, last one to take their hand off the car wins $10,000. It starts off and the people are just about it. But about to put their hand on the car, like it's and then it's just going. Like it's not like this is terrorist, this is whatever. And I was just like, oh, this is how I need to. I tried editing basically in his style. And um I made like this 30-day challenge video into like mm-hmm. a 11-minute video, which is oh, like really like, yeah. So I was just like, I understand now about killing it, <laughs> murdering your story. darlings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh, I don't need this. I don't need this. Oh, this is like a waste. Oh, this is a waste. Oh, all of this is a waste. Well, and it's something that I really like profoundly feel after having worked on my own book at this point yeah. and gone through editing because yeah. there are certain certain sentences I just love that I'm like, ah, I like backspace. Totally. What's your next one, Scott? Um, Endurance by Alfred Lansing. I really like this guy, this artist named Tom Saxon. He said that you got to read this book. Uh, it's about Shackleton. He was an Antarctic mm-hmm. explorer in like... 1919 or something like that like right before the first world war i think maybe 1917 then uh 1915 whatever somewhere around there um 1916 was when the war started okay so probably 1916 i guess they would have started their voyage because they were 
in Britain. They got this boat and all the supplies together. And then the war broke out. And the British government basically told them that they should go anyways. Oh, um, wow. This is, this is important to do. And so um, they were going to try to, I think they were, I think the original thing was that they were going to try to be like the first, um, have you, and I've, have you ever heard the Shackleton story before? Yeah. So, and in fact, so like, as we're talking about Googling it, uh, I've heard specifically about Shackleton's ad, but the problem is that's that's apparently fake. fake. Yeah, it's fake. That's disappointing. But yes, I've heard of Shackleton for years. Um, So basically he was going to be the Antarctic Explorer. And they um, went down to South America, got supplies. And then um, Antarctica is a continent, mm-hmm. but it's surround. There's ice on top of it, but then there's also like sea ice that packs in all around it too. Mm-hmm. Um, the seas around Antarctica, it takes a really long time to like get past like the... So it's like ice reefs almost. Um, yes, I guess that's a decent way to think about it but like it would get packed in there in the winter time and then in the summertime when the sun comes out because it's six months of winter six six months of summer um Mm -hmm. because of the tilt of the earth or whatever um it would pack in tighter and then it would dissipate and then it would pack in and dissipate and pack in and dissipate um so basically these guys are going to go and they're going to try to go to antarctica i think that they were trying to go all the way across or something at this point in time and then um yeah they got stuck in the ice uh, pretty much right away. And they, they, um, they ended up being stuck on the ice flows for like 490 days. Um, it's crazy. Like the, the boat gets jammed in the ice cause they can't find a clear path forward. And, um, the, the pressure of the ice pushing everything together basically wrecks their boat. Um, so they have to get out there, like hauling these lifeboats. They like have these dogs, like sled dogs that they brought with them um like they end up having like killing and eating the dogs they're getting attacked by like snow leopards they're running out (laughs) of food they have nothing it's like darkness it's like six months of winter um 490 days they're going on these ice flows they're trying to they they basically can't um they can't pick where they're going to go because the ice is just pushing them wherever um it's cold it's wet they're soaked to the bones. Um, they get on some ice flows. Guys are falling in the ice as the ice is like splitting apart. Like, the, like they're sleeping in tents, right? And the tents are like falling through into the ice. Guys are getting pulled out. Um, at one point, Shackleton just about gets lost on an ice flow away from everybody else. Um, they finally make it to this one island called, um, I think maybe it's called, well, there's this other island that they make it to first, basically. And they set up a little camp and then um, they make this, they have like one life raft that they take. They have two life rafts or two like life boats, I guess. They're like wooden life boats, but um, they take one, they put a decking on it and um, Shackleton and three other guys try to make it to this whaling Island. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like it's going to take them like two weeks um, in the middle of the ocean through some of the most hospitable ocean um in the worst weather, um, the island is small. If they miss it, they have no chance of getting back to it. They ended up getting to this island, this whaling island called Elephant Island in like the bottom of the um, South Atlantic. They get on the wrong side of it. And so they have to hike over the island. All of this, like they like go for like three days and um, Shackleton makes it back to everyone. And um, I think one guy gets his foot amputated. And Mm -hmm. no one dies. Wow. Not one person dies. They were on this ice flow for 490 days. And um, you know what? I haven't cried at very many books. And um, Shackleton, when he gets back to the Elephant Island, he makes it to this whaling station. And it's really weird, too, because, like, there's this whaling. There's, like, a basically a little whaling village. And, like, some kids see these guys coming from, like, out of, like, the... It's just all ice and mountains. Like, there's no, like, trees or anything. But they just come out of, like, the wilderness, right? And like they got a big ass beard because they've been like, they haven't been able to shave. They got no razors or anything. And they're like all in tattered clothes. They had to, they made like crampons with like, they just put nails through the bottom of their boots basically to, to go ice climbing um, to get across this Island or whatever. And um, like Shackleton gets to the, um, the whaling station master guy and everybody thought they just died. Right. And um, mm-hmm. gets to them and he says like, I'm Shackleton or whatever. And then the guy starts crying. And then I started crying. I was like, 
it's just a, it's a very like, it's just like every single thing is stacked against these guys. And it's just, um, it's really incredible. It's really incredible. I seen IMAX one time when I was a little kid. And so I was primed for it. I, I kind of knew what to expect. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was very, I was very, I think moved by them. I couldn't imagine it. Couldn't imagine doing that. Um, the other thing too, was that they were like, I read this in the middle of the summer and they were 490, something like that, 490 days stuck on this ice flow. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the thing that made, one of the things that made it very real for me is I like, I Googled searched how much 490 days previous to where I was in the year that was. And it was like right at the very start of the pandemic when we went all back into lockdown. And I was wow. like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's how long it was. Respect. I was like, yeah, I was like, I wasn't doing that good this year. And I was like, fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was at home with my family, like, whatever. I didn't get to go to some places, but like, realistically, I was fine. Like, I had money. I had a nice house, like, whatever. Um, yeah, I just it just was a little overwhelming. So I, that's that one got me. So I'm curious, uh, were you hungry as you were reading this book? Because my, my thing is, I've always found there's like one book, um, Little House, uh, The Long Winter, Little House in the mm-hmm. Prairie books, where they're snowed in and like the town's starving. And like every time I leave reading that book at any point, I'm kind of like, I really want to order a pizza. That's funny. No, they don't. Um, I, I, Like they talk about getting food and stuff, but like that is like, there's just so many other things happening that it's like super crazy. Like the one thing that Shackleton really did good was did good. That's a good English. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the one thing that Shackleton did well is he was like a really good a leader of people. And mm-hmm. so he never made them break. And he would like, t- he took the guys that he thought were going to complain and he put them in his tent with him yep. so that he could monitor them and monitor their spirits and stuff. So like, that's a lot more about what the book is about. And then it's just like, they're going through like their, everybody was allowed to keep it. If they had a journal, they were allowed to keep their journal and like one change of clothes, but like, that's it. One guy had a banjo. One guy was allowed to keep his banjo. So they had like something to do. They had like a couple of decks of cards and like, mm-hmm. that's it for the whole winter. Um, so, it, you know, the story is like, oh, now we've seen some seals and we're going to kill these seals. And then a snow leopard jumps out of the water and tries to eat everyone. And like, it's just like, it's, there's, there's too much stuff happening the entire time. They're basically just effed the entire time like you're like oh this can't get any worse then it's like and now it gets worse yeah and then it's like oh yeah now you have to go across like 300 i don't even know how miles three thousand miles to get to this stupid island that that there's no chance that you're gonna make it to and then once they don't make it like nobody's they're not gonna send a boat back i think when they um when shackleton made it to elephant island it still took the boat from elephant island to pick up the other guys it's it took that boat like three or four tries to even get to this island because of the ice pack and stuff um yeah it was just it was a little overwhelming uh but like in the best possible way but i really uh yeah just got me mad got me the art of manliness has done a couple of different articles about shackleton and his leadership style i always recommend them just fantastic yeah it's it's really interesting it's like he's definitely a deeply flawed person Um, all people are (laughs) yeah but uh definitely i think worth the read yeah it's one of the uh, like I think I cried it at only a couple books, but that was one where I just choked up. I was just like, "Oh, thank God! Oh, they made it!" <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and I knew it was going to happen too, so it wasn't even a surprise. But uh, yeah, still. So my next book, uh, this is a nonfiction narrative, a pastoral song, "A mm-hmm. Farmer's Journey" by James Rebanks. It's really interesting. So, are you familiar with James Harriet at all? No. Okay, so he's an English country vet stories are set around world war one world war two ish that era mm-hmm. uh and so just you know agriculture back then in yep. england this book uh basically is a story of his family of not not james harriet's but james the author it's a story of his family's farm and how they were the small little english countryside farm and that slowly they took on more and more modern agricultural practices and just the change that came not only to the farm itself but also to the the environment the landscape the the culture that they had in their communities so it's a really interesting book i think the best thing i have to the big shout out i have to give is they gave the best description of what crop rotation is oh, really? to anyone and so like now, so it basically does the full narrative of how they went from this to now they started questioning it to today 
they're doing regenerative farming practices. Uh, he's He raises belted galloways, which is one of my favorite breeds of cattle. Just very interesting. He even talks about in the book, like visiting Iowa, mm-hmm. which I, of course, find absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Uh, talk about getting as far away from a quaint little English farm as possible, coming out to Iowa and visiting our farms. But it was a really great book. Uh, I highly recommend it. Like it's, you, you know, those some farm books you read, you're like, this is only for farmers. Yeah. This is a book that anyone can pick up and enjoy. Nice, that's cool. It's it's, it's a, the guy's living now, though. It's mm-hmm. not. It's like yeah. Saturday. No, though. He this is published today. In fact, uh, one of the episodes that I hope people will be able to listen to before this, if I could get my act together and get it released, is we did an interview with the author. Uh, nice. Probably one of my favorite interviews I've gotten to do in a long time. Oh, nice. That's good. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, what, what, what were you, is it just like a narrative kind of just about, it's like, a narrative, uh, it, kind of like a family farm for a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been a family farm since his great grandfather. Oh, okay. So like, yeah, they, they've got the huge stretch of history. And the thing I like is that he gives such a historical perspective in the book. Cause, and that was one of the things I actually asked him in the interview, because he really does a good job of looking at the full history of not only his culture and his environment, but also in agriculture, mm-hmm. like just really really well written cool that's awesome yeah it's nice when you can find uh a nice book about something you're interested in i guess well and again i think that it's it's accessible that's the thing i thought was really great so like do you remember the omnivorous dilemma yes michael Pollan. i would i'd put this book right on the shelf next to it in terms of the quality of and he's a journalist james is a farmer (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, there's a lot of farmers though that are like uh artists. Oh yeah. Oh, artists, Joel artists. Salton. Uh lots. There's lots yeah. of guys. Uh, Scott uh, Hebert. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> Super famous. So what's your next book, Scott? Um my next book is called uh Fingerprints of the Gods by Graham Hancock. Okay. Um Do I need a tinfoil that, hat for this? Uh no, not necessarily. <laughs> Um, but there's definitely some people that will think yes to that, but I just kind of took it from an open view. I think I was a Mm -hmm. a little primed for this book. It's one that I had on the back burner for a long time. Um, basically, uh, it says that, uh, there might've been a civilization, like a more advanced, we kind of think that most civilizations started around like three to 5,000 years ago, you know, with Mm -hmm. like. Uh, out of Mesopotamia. fertile crescent yes exactly out of mesopotamia you got the egypt and then we kind of got into like europe whatever but um this book says that there might have been um like a pre-civilization advanced civilization don't know how advanced but like pretty advanced to make these huge stone things um like about thirteen thousand years ago and then there might have been some sort of catastrophic disasters on earth um that he gets to later in the book and he talks about them, but um, yeah, super, super interesting. I, I've seen a whole bunch of um, like, I really like ancient ruins and stuff, and I like mm-hmm. looking at videos and, but like a lot of them are conspiracy theory. I told you about this one video I watched where like um, this one video, it was really interesting because uh, these like, especially in South America, they'll have like these old structures and they'll have mm-hmm. huge stones, like massive, huge stones. And then it kind of looks like, that um, on top of these older stones that they have like smaller stones put on top. Yep. So kind of in one sense, looks like that there was something there a really long time ago, something happened that got wiped away. And then maybe even another civilization built on top of that. And then that Mm -hmm. got wiped away. And now we have kind of this like remnants of remnants on top of this thing. And I I told you, I was watching this one video and um, this guy made this brilliant case about like showing all this stuff. And then at the end, he's like aliens. And I was like, oh, no, bro. No, that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean the aliens did that. You know what I mean? But this was like, a, this was about how people, it might have been people. And it was like mm-hmm. super, super interesting. And basically, um, it just got me thinking a lot. And um, I, I like that challenge. Because like, there's sometimes when I watch, like, not conspiracy. I don't, I don't really watch conspiracy theory stuff. But there's sometimes when I'm watching... Um, some certain things like there's this one guy that predicts earthquakes on YouTube that I really mm-hmm. like watching. And I'm like looking at it and I'm like, I'm not smart enough to know if this is real or fake. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I like being challenged by that. And same with this. I'm like, w- like the information that you're presenting me, I don't have 
enough. Like, unless I'm coming in with preconceived thoughts that I think like God made the earth or like the earth is 5,000 years old or like something like that. I don't have um, good evidence to be like, well, this couldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I really like that. It really like, um, yeah, stretches my mind, but it like, it was, it stretched my mind. I think I was ready for it. And um, it kind of made me a little scared at the end um, just for like what's going to happen and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was interesting. I'll just throw out there real quick as a comment. The thing that I immediately makes me think of is, so one of my favorite book series is The Last Kingdom by Bernard yeah. Cornwell. And one of the themes in the book is the sense of, because it's set in Saxon England, mm-hmm. the Romans have left long ago. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the Saxons destroyed what remained of them, but what remains of what the Romans influence was, were their incredible architecture, their roads. We could see that like, the world has a lot of different things that have just continually, as one civilization declines, other civilizations build on top of that architecture. I mean, it's literally just, it is the rise and fall of empires. It's natural course of history. It's just, we haven't had like a catastrophic destruction of a civilization in, I mean, do we want to classify the fall of the British empire as that? I mean, that's like the best example I can think of of something that just kind of, but that even was a wane yeah. that we can recognize, but like there are times where like Roman civilization, Babylonian civilization, Cyrus conquering destruction, gone off the face yeah. of the math. And the, the type of destruction that these guys are talking about, um, it, it might've been even more destructive and more powerful. It might've mm-hmm. been like a, like a, like a mass global impact. There's this thing called earth crust displacement. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically the magnetic poles of the earth can flop and move and stuff. Yep. And the earth, if you're thinking about the earth, like an orange and that the, the outside is the tectonic plates and stuff, the earth, the whole skin of the orange would basically rotate over top of the core. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the whole earth would basically become, it would pretty much be in the same, everything would be in the same spots ish, but it would become unstabilized for a long time. So there would be earthquakes over thousands of years as this, um, as the earth is settling into a new position and Basically, what this book is saying is a possibility is that there was like a uh, there was an ancient civilization that lived on Antarctica and Antarctica as a continent was actually just the way that the Earth was, was um, mm-hmm. like 3000 miles more north. But then the magnetic poles shifted, um, maybe because of the ice melt and like the Earth got spun off balance a little bit and then it shifted. And now the whole ice cap is on the bottom. And so there could be like evidence of an ancient civilization under Antarctica, but we don't know because it's covered with ice. So out of curiosity here. Yes. Is there anything about Atlantis in this book? Um, there's not anything about Atlantis in this book, but there's a really good, um, there's a really good podcast called Cosmographia by Randall Carlson. He's a geologist mm-hmm. and he's, he's, he's um, in line with this type of thinking because there's a lot of geological evidence for some of these things to happen. And um, he talks about possible things for Atlantis. And he kind of thinks it's the Azores, which is like a chain of islands right outside of, um, right outside of like the Straits of Gibraltar as you get into the thing. He kind of thinks it was that, but, um, but like Atlantis basically might've been the remnants of these people fleeing at like the Antarctica from where they came from. But it's super interesting, man. There like, cause there was like, um, there's maps. I forget what the map is called, but there was- No, no, Pangeo was millions, millions, millions of years ago. Um, that's when all the continents were together. This basically, we're not going far enough back that the, that the continents look like they're in different spots. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's uh, some maps from like the 1500s that that guys have had. I think Herodotus, I think, is the guy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, Herodotus. Yeah. He, um, they basically have a map that had the outline of Antarctica, it, like proper, it was properly navigated and it showed the streams of Antarctica and it showed everything, but it's like, it's been covered under ice for like 5,000 years or whatever. So it's like, how the hell did these guys know? And after seeing that Shackleton thing and like how inhospitable the Antarctic thing is, I don't know. It was just, it was just like, yeah. it was too much. It was like, super interesting. I was just like super captivated by it. And I'm just like, I don't know what to think. I'm not smart enough to know, like when these geology guys, especially the Randall Carlson thing, because I started watching his podcast a little bit when he was talking about like, he's talking about these great flood events and like 
he's showing all this evidence and he's like, you can like zoom in on Google maps here and like, see like the waves of the, this huge flood event on Missoula and like, da 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 da. I'm just like, Oh, like some of this is probably true. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm seeing too much stuff where I'm just like, Oh well, yeah. Oh, I can see how this is. So like, this is where I, I mean, every culture has a giant flood story. Yes. I mean, that's just literally the reality is something must have happened. Yes. Just because literally it's baked into the DNA mythology of virtually everything. Yes. Well, well, with the, with the, um, with the magnetic poles flipping, it would Mm -hmm. make sense why like the ice sheet on North America went down so far Mm -hmm. because um, basically like the top of the, where we think the top of the earth is, would maybe have been like more over North America. Yeah. So it would have been the ice, the ice would have went further down over the land. And mm-hmm. um, there's definitely like, as I've been watching this Cosmographia podcast, he talks about a lot about like ice stamps and stuff, but basically there would have been like giant lakes on top of these glaciers and they're huge glaciers, right? They're taking over like most of North America, like most of Canada basically. Right. And they would basically have like huge ocean sized lakes on them. And then at the edges, eventually these dams would break and unleash this water. Um, And so there would have been major changes to the earth. Um, Yeah. The the end of the book kind of scared me because they were talking about like that. These, the magnetic poles could flip again Mm -hmm. as the ice is receding and stuff. And um, there's like nothing we can do. Yeah. Stoicism, Scott. It's outside of our control. Pretty much. But like, even like he was talking about like the ancient structures in um, the ancient structures in Egypt and stuff. Like they're all, they're all aligned with like constellations. And like, they're talking about maybe that um, this was like an ancient people's way of um, giving us a clue that there could be some great uh, catastrophes, ca- catastrophes, catastrophes um, coming. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> oh so i liked it i liked it though it kind of scared me it made me think it was just like it was interesting but i can definitely see how someone would be like conspiracy theory or whatever well you don't have me reaching for a tinfoil hat but i was laboring under delusion most of canada was a glacier already but apparently that's not true okay good to know more like tundra okay no like when the ice age when the as far as i understand when the last ice ages happened the glacier the glaciation was immense like it was, it was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially uh, maybe I'll send you a couple of things when we're offline, but, um, yeah, the, the ice dam thing is like super interesting to me. And I've heard about these, like possibly ancient civilizations, like 13,500 years ago or whatever. But then I was like, oh, that would make a lot of sense. Why? Like there was just like, you know, if the earth was like shifting back and then there's earthquakes everywhere and like it's destructive and it's like, that's why we don't really have anything. But, um, it, it appears that there was like lots of um, even like in the Amazon and stuff, there's lots of ancient civilizations. Mm-hmm. Um, like the whole population of North America was apparently much bigger than we think. Like we think it had kind of like a maximum, maybe like right when the Europeans got there, the Europeans brought a bunch of disease, wiped a bunch of people mm-hmm. out. But um, there's some evidence that it might have been significantly bigger before that. And then yeah. something happened. So uh, it's like, well, I've heard again, it, it's all, I haven't done actual research on this, but like that the native Americans that were here when the Europeans arrived, weren't the first ones here, like that no. they had in turn attacked whoever lived here before yeah. and took over. I mean, it's, it's again, the, the whole thing of colonization. It's just, it's always been around folks. My it's funny. You mentioned Herodotus because my next book mentions Herodotus too. Okay. American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Nice. Uh, there, in fact, so one of the things in the book is that the main character, Shadow, has this inmate, because uh, he's, start the book, he's in prison. This is my fiction book, by the way, in case anyone was wondering. In this book, Shadow has, you've read American Gods, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. He's He's in prison and his prison mate his cell buddy is uh low-key lysmith mm-hmm. who gives him a copy of herodotus and yeah. so there's actually like quotes about herodotus and the histories throughout the book which is kind of cool especially since now i'm reading herodotus because of it but basic premise is uh neil gaiman wrote a book which has the idea that the the uh, essences of these gods that the different people brought with them are still 
in America. So like people don't believe in Thor, Odin, and Loki anymore, but they still are here because we brought them with us when we came along with all the others. And it's just kind of like this literal war of the gods. But what's interesting about the book for me is that there are new gods. They're the gods of media, the gods of technology, just these new things that we've decided to give our time, i.e. worship, towards. And he even says in the foreword of the book that since then, people have commented, well, why wasn't sports there, et cetera, et cetera. Really, it could be an endless topic. I mean, there's certain elements of the book you're like, oh, this is super 90s because you're like, yeah, this was definitely written in the 90s because the gods of the time are very 90s-esque. But it's well-written. Uh, Neil Gaiman does an amazing job. Wednesday is uh, an amazing character. Just like the idea of what would Odin look like today if people were no longer worshiping him and he still had to walk around the streets of Chicago. Yeah. It's really well done. Uh, really good book. And Audible, I can't remember if it was Audible or not, that did the full cast yeah, production. Uh, they did an amazing job. It was fantastic. Well worth the listen. Uh, and it also kind of started me on the Neil Gaiman trek, reading some of his other books. Yeah, I read the or I listened to the American Gods a couple of years ago, um, and I same thing. I really liked it. I, th- I thought the way that they personified the gods and like they brought them here and stuff, it was like super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and something the whole, to th- the whole book was like. I think a lot of times I, I think I'm good at reading and like listening and mm-hmm. kind of seeing the underline of like what's happening, but like closer to the, the twist end. yeah man i'm just like oh well yeah. there was a couple there was two twists mm-hmm. that got two times that book got me and i was like oh oh oh, <laughs> oh. yeah it's just like it's very rich and full and um uh, yeah I, I, I found it very interesting as well but i think well, it, like i think we both kind of skew to liking mythology and stuff yeah well and i think that that's another thing i want to throw out there for people listening just as a recommendation for this book so two things one i've heard you either love the book or hate it there's really no middle ground in a lot of cases with this book. Uh, I've heard that just even talking to other people, they're like, oh, I hated that book or, oh, it was amazing. I've never found anyone that's in the middle. Um, the other thing is part of the book, like he has chapters that are just, these are the stories of the immigrants that brought. Yeah, I like that too. These, and that's so cool because Gaiman, I mean, he writes amazing novels, but I think that his short story power is incredible. Yeah. And that's basically what he did was he was able to just, okay, here is... Uh, a culture's deity and this is why it ended up in america yeah I, know. I, think that, I think that's why the twist got me so good is because it seems like almost a collection of short stories sometimes and then um it's i'm like oh you've been you've been doing me the whole time bro um there's yeah, even I, like a murder mystery in it i mean there's like it's really multi-layered and for me being someone who has traveled as much as i have yeah like you know, i can't remember if i sent you a text or not about yeah, this when but like cairo? cairo there's a cairo illinois and like that's a, there's a whole part of the book that happens there. I'm like driving past Cairo. I'm like, yes, that this is okay. By the way, something that's really funny. I don't know if it was purposeful or not. The coffee shop, like in the town next to Cairo, is called Hebrews Coffee. Mm-hmm. That's funny because Hebrews, Egypt. Yeah, yep. I, I, I'm like, oh, I love the joke. That's great. What's uh, your next one, Scott? My next book is The Daily Laws by Robert Greene. Okay. Yes. Uh, now, quick question, because this I know the format. Have you read all of the Daily Laws yet, or are you going no. by it day by day? Okay. No, I, I haven't read. Um, I actually haven't even been going day by day. I just have it up on my shelf right here with a note card in it. And then- um, Oh, cool. Yeah. When I remember to go, then I'm mm-hmm. like, like, if I look now, it's probably 10 days ago or something. So then I'll just flip mm-hmm. through the next 10 days. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then I'll forget about it for like a week or something, and then I'll um, go through it. So that's kind of how I've been using it. But um, explain what daily laws are for yes. people that aren't Robert us. Green. Robert Green has basically been writing books about human nature. I would say it's kind of the overarching theme. He's wrote. Mm-hmm. He's written um, the Forty Eight Laws of Power, the Thirty Three Strategies of War, um, the Art of Seduction. The My favorite. Human, yes, the laws of human nature, um, mastery, and this book called the Fiftieth Law. But he's basically taken all. They're basically he uses. He's found stories from history, and then he used those stories to illustrate um, points. So in the 48 Laws of Power, um, they're all about how people have um, used uh, techniques or strategies to obtain power over the years. Um, And in the Daily Laws, I really liked it because it's a 
like the 48 Laws of Power and all the other books, they're not that digestible to just mm-hmm. go in and pick something out because you got to like read the whole chapter. And it's just like, I'm not going to sit there and read like 10 pages of something. But in this, he's basically taken um, 365 ideas from all of these books and written a single summarizing paragraph about it um, and then plunked it in there. So it's very much like, it's just the most, I really, really liked Robert Greene. And then it's like, it made it even more digestible. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this is great. It's got no story. There's no stories in it. It's just the straight summary. So I think it works very well in tandem with the other books. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it's like- It's almost something- like a concordance, I feel like. Not a concordance, but uh, almost like the bibliography. Yeah, exactly. It's, so, it's, uh, it's good. Uh, there's my- my grandfather was a pastor. And so I, uh, my family has the complete works of all the sermons of Charles Spurgeon, which I don't know if you know who he is, but he, he preached a lot. So it's like 60 volumes, thick, big books. Guess what? It's really hard to find stuff. So there's like this little book that you turn open to like subject or passage to know which volume, which page, because otherwise you're lost. I feel like this book serves a similar purpose in that you're able to, okay, wait, this is, this is where he's talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it just makes it like, I don't have to, I don't know. It just, I like the daily devotional type like book thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good format. The daily, uh, like I'm a hundred percent sure that. um, Oh, Ryan Holiday definitely said, (laughs) Robert, Bobby, let's make a book. Totally. So the daily stoic is um, like Ryan's kind of daily devotional book. And then this daily laws is a uh, Robert's version, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. I really like it. It's just like, like I said, it's something I can leave out and kind of um, just revisit flip through. I just looked right now. I was three days behind. So I would just like read three and three paragraphs in a row, you know, might get my 10 minutes in or whatever, and then uh, put it away. Sometimes it's good stuff. Sometimes it's like, I don't really think about that, but sometimes it really hits home. And it's just like, ah, you got me again. So uh, yeah, that's, that was that. So talking about book that made you feel like it got you, uh, and this one I'm also going to make the note is my like best audiobook performance. Okay. Uh, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, nice. which means now I have to check this episode as having language in it. Um, anytime I have Scott on the podcast, I say that this episode has language in it when I check it just in case. Um, but Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I avoided this book because it was popular. Yeah. And we've had this conversation. I avoid books that are popular, uh, but it had an amazing audiobook narration. The basic idea is that when everything in the world is asking us to care about it, we need to be careful about what we choose to care about. You know, that whole dichotomy of control idea. Yeah. The main, so it was, and we discussed it before uh, just privately. It's not like there was a lot that I hadn't heard before in other ways and other means. Yeah. But the thing I really enjoyed in it were two different specific things. One was the idea of being very articulate in what your values are. Yes. Which, I mean, I don't know about you, but it not a lot of people, and I even fall prey to this, don't articulate, these are my values and this is the order I place them in. Totally. We, we kind of go, oh, as we come up to something, it's like, yeah, well, I care about yes or no. Instead of walking through life very firmly, this is what I'm choosing to care about. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I had was, and I really like this idea, choosing the idea of choosing your problems. Everyone wants to choose what their form of pleasure is. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you choose your life decisions based on what problems you want to have, you're going to be more satisfied in what you do. Because so, for example, I value being an, I value not having a boss, basically. Mm-hmm. The problems that invites are that I have to be the one that forces myself to work. I have to be the one who hustles. I have to be the one. I don't have anyone basically for the most part over me to make my life easier. I have to force myself to do those things a boss would do. Right. But I'm choosing because I'd rather have those problems than the problems of, I hate my boss. I'm unsatisfied at work because this idiot is trying to tell me what to do. I would rather be the idiot who's trying to tell myself what to do. I'm choosing my problems because I know which problems I'd rather have. The other is just the concept of life is pain. Like mm-hmm. just get over with it. Uh, yep. It's been said in many different other ways. He pulls it from, uh, he's Mark Manson, the author uh, is more into 
Buddhism and Eastern philosophy, but he also references Stoicism. Just that general idea of, you know what, there's always going to be a certain amount of suffering in life. So choose what form of suffering you're going to pursue. Mm-hmm. And I just like that counterintuitive approach of I'm going to go after problems instead of going after happiness, because there's always going to be problems associated with happiness. Yeah. What you're better off accepting what the difficulties are going to be to start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was super interesting. I um, read this book like four or five years ago and same thing. I remember thinking that it was nothing. I liked it, but it wasn't anything about that. I hadn't read before, but I think that you and I are already in that genre. Mm-hmm. I can see yeah, it being well, very, yeah, I can see it being very impactful for someone who's never read that type of thing. Exactly. I mean, and honestly, for me, the reason I even picked this book for my reads this year is for me, I had at the beginning of the year, especially I was wrestling over what am I going to choose to care about? Yeah. Because there are a couple of situations where I'm like, I really don't want to invest the time into this, but maybe yeah. I should. And this book was like, I mean, it's got fucking the title. It's basically slaps you in the face with, listen, choose what you're going to care about. Yeah. And so that's, I think, why I particularly chose this book. As I said, there's not that there's a lot of new ideas. I just like that very, very much focuses on those specific ones. Yeah, it's awesome. What's your next one, Scott? Okay, for the, I think for each of our next ones, we kind of uh, accidentally, well, not accidentally, it wasn't. <laughs> no, planned. it was very purposeful. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't planned, but uh, we 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 read a book that the other person suggested. So um, you, I know you really like the Count of Monte Cristo and uh, yes. I had tried reading it before and I got like, I think I got halfway into it and I was like listening to it on a plane somewhere. I don't remember where. And then, um, I just lost it. I couldn't like, I just wasn't into it. And then I, you actually got me to do this painting, mm-hmm. um, of a guy holding his fist. And, um, so I read it this time and I, yeah, I, I got sucked in. I liked it. It was good. It was, a uh, very complex, um, yeah, it was complex. I think that there's, I really like the, we've talked about it before, but like this, like this story was written as like a serialization. So mm-hmm. it come out in, in pieces and it's like, I, it's neat to see how that played out. The whole story is like really good. Um, I, I was telling you, but I can't imagine how exciting that would have been to like, because this, basically this guy um, gets effed over. I like how we say fucking title. And this is the one where I'm I know I'm like, I'm the one that swore. Uh, uh, no, he gets, no, this, this guy basically gets fucked by people the whole time, gets put in prison, escapes prison, finds this treasure, um, and then goes on this huge, long, then their story really starts. And he goes on this whole long thing mm-hmm. about getting revenge is basically what it comes down to. Um, but I was telling you, like, I can't imagine how exciting that would have been to have been like, months and months and months into this and then finding out that there's like this treasure and like this guy's just gonna be like rich beyond his wildest dreams and then like um yeah they would I, like just seeing how that played out i think that would have been a very fun adventure to have been on it was like fun to read it as a as a finished piece but like um yeah i don't know i i get it i get why you liked it for sure well i think it's it is one of my favorites it is my favorite book of all time when people ask me like what's my favorite book i say the count of my cristo it is everything dramatic. It it follows such a unique, not even unique, it set the template for so much that we like just take as commonplace in stories these days. It's based on certain true events. Like there was actually a, a guy that like went to London, went to Paris and like took revenge on the people that had wronged him. There's even a book, I haven't read it, I should, uh, called The Black Count where basically it's about um, Dumas' grandfather, father, something like that, who basically got screwed over in the French military. And then he was like a friend of Bonaparte's and then like got cast out and then had to like come back. So even though Dumas actually, there's a very good chance Dumas did not write most of this, but he did write the plot. Uh, He was one of those guys that hired lots of ghostwriters to do his work. Um, but it's so good. It's so good that it's got some, it's got so much philosophy in it, even like the count when he comes back, like, so he just plays with everyone, all the people around him. He's like literally just leading them on up until the point where it's like, 
and they finally cross the line and now they're done. Yeah. Did you have a favorite character or favorite like little story arc in the book? Um, no, I think I would have to read it again because there was so much going on. I, I kind of um, like, it's like 50 hours or something, the audio book. Yes. So it's just a lot to process the first time. Um, especially when it's just like, like at the end, there's like, there's one guy that has like a kid and it's just like, da da da, and it's just like keeping everybody's <laughs> French names all together. And yes. Stuff. It's a little overwhelming the first time. So I think mm-hmm. if I went back, I would um, do it. But like the, I don't know, the count is cool. Like his, his woman is cool. Like they're all, I like them all. So like, out of curiosity, like, so this is, I'll, I'll just ask you before we move on to the next one. Um, in most adaptations, they get rid of Aide. Okay. And they put in that he ends up with Mercedes, the girl who he was engaged with at the beginning of the book. Yeah. That's how most of the adaptations work. Oh. Like, did you did you buy that he ends up that the count ends up with Aide at the end of the book and just says goodbye to Mercedes? Um yeah, man. I don't think he could have ended up with I don't think that I don't think I would have liked that as much as if he ended up with Mercedes. Yeah, because like I think he liked that other girl, mm-hmm. Aide, but um like it, but I think that he was so consumed by his lust for revenge that he probably couldn't see what he had. Mm-hmm. Like that his new thing that was good. You know what I mean? And he already had this girl that loved him. Like he already had a good life set up for him. Um, if he ended up with Mercedes, it would have been like, dude, I, she, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> what do you think about that? Uh, I prefer Aide. I just wish that more of the adaptations were a little bit better. Like they, yeah. they just try to, they pull out most of it. I mean, it's 50 hours long as an audio book. There's yeah. no way they make it into a good movie. Um, but I can see from a storytelling aspect why they go, okay, she's the girl at the beginning, so she's the girl at the end. Yeah. But like there's that point, there's a wonderful scene where like it's like he's realizing what he has when he's about to go um duel with Albert, who is the yeah. son of his hated enemy who took his wife, betrothed wife. Yeah. And he's leaving that note for her. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like one of those first moments where you realize, oh there's more than just like this father daughter relationship that the two of them have. Yeah, totally. Cause you're not sure, but you can, but you can tell that's cause he's, yeah, he's consumed with what he's, he's so consumed with his stuff that he doesn't have a strategy for what's going to happen afterwards, which actually uh, conspiracy by Ryan holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually quotes kind of my crystal a couple of times in there. And he does have a chapter specifically on when you're doing a conspiracy, make sure you've got an end, a post. Yeah. Otherwise, you're like, wait a minute, I just did all this, and now what? Or what? Yeah, dude, that happens a lot in life, I think, not just with uh, revenge. Not just with getting <laughs> revenge. But I think that happens a lot in life, um, for sure. What's your, uh, what's your next one? My final one, drumroll please, is a book that Scott Hebert has been trying to get me to read, I think for almost as long as we've known each other. Yeah. And you know what's... Can I just say one thing me- before you yes. go? Yes. It's not just you. I okay. have told like everyone that they need to read this book. I've told everyone that it's probably that I love Robert Greene, that it's probably my favorite Robert Greene book. And I totally 100% understand why people don't want to read it. And I was in the same boat and I just bit the bullet and read it. And I was like, afterwards, I was like, oh, that's not what I thought about it was all. This is maybe my favorite one of his books ever. And then, um, so it's not just you. I've like, you're the, probably the first person actually that I, that has read it, that I've told to read it. I've told everyone to read it, but no one listens to me. And I understand why. So, uh, the 50th law by 50 cent and Robert green. Uh, do you know what tipped me over the edge on actually reading this book? Uh, me yelling at you on my podcast. Well, that was part of it. Actually. It's what you like. It has a faux leather copy that you can buy. (laughs) And I'm like, that looks pretty cool. I could have that on my bookshelf. That's funny. Is it nice? I don't have a physical. Oh yeah. You can see it. Everyone listening is going to love this. Like, and it's got this great thing on the back where it says, be fearless. Yeah. Fear nothing, fear nothing. And it's got the Latin nihil timidum est. I can't pronounce Latin as well as I used to. Uh, Hey, I used to be able to speak pretty reasonable Latin. This book I was very surprised by. Um, So basically it's same as most Robert Greene books are, except it's got 50 cent in it. 
And you start with like a story of 50 cent and as an example of like, so I'll just pick one of these, like the, it gets basically gives like his story of the hustle. So from his time on the street to then, okay, now he's, now he's making music and he's realizing, Oh, guess what? The streets were a whole lot nicer than the music world and how he chooses to use some of those skills he developed to navigate it. And then Robert Greene afterwards is like, okay, here are historical principles drawn out from these types of interactions. So like one of the chapters is chapter three, turn shit into sugar opportunism. Uh, So I really, I really enjoyed this book, like fundamentally. So for me, what was interesting is I was reading Courage is Calling by Ryan Holiday at the same time. And both books, so for those who don't know, Ryan Holiday was a protege, is a protege of Robert Greene. And he helped him as a research assistant. There are a couple of instances in this book where I'm like, I think Ryan probably helped here or there. That just because there's this was the first book that he helped on. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. There's definitely some crossover. But in reading Courage is Calling, Ryan's whole premise is the virtue of courage. This is what courage means. Robert Greene and 50 Cent in this book are advocating courage, but in a different perspective. It's about being fearless. Yeah. And what does it mean to be fearless? And he really, you know, I almost like was like take a shot every time he starts with as children or as yeah. primitive beings, because yeah. he starts a lot of the chapters in this book mm-hmm. with that like yeah. concept. But I put, I took out for my notes, there were a couple of specific things I really liked. Um, the other thing I'll make a note is, so he made a comment, I listened to an interview Robert Greene did where he was talking about the daily laws. And he said, really a summation of all of his books to a degree is the idea of embracing realism yes and i think that the 50th law may be his most explicit this is accept what reality is totally yeah i am i always say that in stoicism that like perception is um oh no i can't remember what my thing is but i totally stole it from um robert green (laughs) yeah i said i like when i'm reading it back i'm like oh yeah i stole that from here like there are so many ideas that i um i thought that maybe were my own oh i Mm -hmm. say like um like perception is the ability to see things clearly for what they are, not for what you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I totally, I was rereading that, listening to it again um, after you had listened to it. And um, I was like, Oh, I stole that from here. I, I really liked the, I really liked the, um, he has an idea in there that you are unique, your unique set of DNA mm-hmm. with a unique set of experiences in a unique time frame. Mm, yeah i like that i like that a lot I've, t- I've taken a lot of things out of that like you are your own thing you are your own experiences and you exist in a time um i thought the overarching um theme of this one was being fearless and proceeding um ahead boldly fearless. yes boldly like really really boldly and um yeah i don't know it just uh i can't explain how much i enjoyed this and how much I think people will get out of it. And I totally understand that you don't want to listen to a book about 50 Cent, but it's not. It's about being fearless, but like you're yeah. not going to listen to me. So I don't care. Uh, so I just want, there were two concepts I wanted to throw out there real quick that were my favorites from this book. The first was um, the idea of going with the flow, that chapter of, uh, oh, chapter itself is keep moving, calculated momentum. Mm-hmm. And he talks about flow and uh, the concept of most of us spend so much energy trying to control our environments and control events rather than using the momentum of what's already happening to our advantage. Right. Because we're scared of not being in control of the situation Mm -hmm. or we encounter things that we aren't familiar with rather than embracing the chaos and using the chaos to our own advantage. We try to institute a form of order. Uh, that spoke to me a lot because I'll tell you what, I am the person that usually walks in the room and is immediately like, I'm going to now get everything. Everyone's going to fit into my box. Everyone is going to do what I want them to. And we're going to institute my version of order. And I spent a lot of energy doing that because it's not, it doesn't matter if you have high capacity or low capacity. It takes a substantial amount of energy to be able to do that, especially if you can do it successfully, which I, I kind of do. Uh, how much more successful would I be if I just let events unfold naturally and was to use that momentum to my advantage? 
the other thing I really liked about that concept when you talked about it was uh, he mentioned the idea of don't be a mountain, don't be a tree, be water. And I'm like, who does that sound like? Anderson, the five rings. Bruce Lee. Oh, Musashi. But, right. Yeah, it, it, Musashi talks about it in the book of the five rings. Yeah. Totally. He, uh, that's a kind of a common thing for, I don't know why a lot of fighting things like Bruce Lee has a thing, be like water quote like that. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. It is though. You do water goes in a tea. I think Bruce Lee's that's a Bruce Lee quote, but he's like, you put water in a teacup, it becomes a teapot. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, super interesting. I, uh, I, yeah, I loved that book. It, It caught me totally off guard. Like, um, yeah, I don't know what I was expecting. The fighting reference. Yeah. The, the 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 50 law as book though totally caught me off guard like i don't know what i thought it was going to be i thought it was going to be about 50 cent like i knew basically what i heard is that um 50 cent really liked robert green's the laws uh, uh the 48 laws of power mm-hmm. because robert green found out that a whole bunch of people in the hip-hop industry were reading it um because it's so cutthroat that people were using it to navigate the the industry basically um, and he's like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. And then I didn't know what I thought the book was going to be about. And I really didn't like that. It had like a fake leather. Cape. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, what is this book trying to be? And then I got the audio book. And then afterwards I was like, Oh, that was, uh, maybe my favorite one ever. Like I really like the mastery by Robert green too. Mm-hmm. Um, as a, as a book, but, um, yeah, this one really did it for me. Well, and I just think that it, it's so easy to, we, I, here's the thing I really appreciate about the book. I didn't think beforehand how many of my actions are based on an idea of what am I afraid of Oh yeah. or what kind of judgment. And it's not even like the fear of survival that I'm making these actions based on it's fear of social acceptance, fear of rejection, fear of whatever you want to pick. How many of our daily actions and choices are based on, oh, I'm scared of this, even on just that level of, I don't know what would happen if I said yes instead of no. Yeah, pretty much. I, um, I've been doing this thing where I've been ignoring some costs and like just trying to really focus on, um, Mm -hmm. what's important to me and like really try to get like super clear on that. Like that's been a really big theme over the past year, but over the past couple of months, especially I've been like really super proactive on it. And, um, yeah, I'm starting to realize how much stuff is fear and um not important doesn't matter like it's just like it's stuff that if you could il- not eliminate it but like get rid of some stuff and just proceed forward um mm-hmm. you'd probably be a lot better uh the one other note that i had was i love the chapter on don't be afraid to be bad show aggression yeah and just the idea that you know what we always say the terms fortune favors the bold and but the reality is most of us still will hesitate yeah life does not reward hesitation in the slightest no it doesn't no you have to take action everything you have to do is about action 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 to action right indeed cool scott any final thoughts on your 2021 reading or things you want to share with the audience of both podcasts about your projects going forward um, no, I've been trying to do this thing now where, um, I've been like trying to do an artist and it's been going, uh, really good this whole year. This whole year's pretty much shaped out the way that I wanted to, um, in the sense of like, I wanted to have, I wanted to get something going. I wanted to have like something to go on to. And, um, I did this 30 days of, of like drawing and painting challenge to myself recently. And I like live streamed it every day. And, um, it really made me realize how much I need to default on action and what's important to me as we were just kind of saying, and I realized I need to make art every day for a year. And so, um, that's what I'm going to be focused on now, um, is I'm going to do, I have my podcast that I do like a daily on weekdays. I do it. And it's just kind of like a, I call it like a playground wrestle with ideas. I talk about ideas on there. I talk about what I'm doing and then I'm going to, um, try to make as much art as I can. I think I'm going to post one video a month on YouTube ish. Just, mm-hmm. just a good quality video when I can make something, I have something to say. Um, and uh, that's pretty much what I got to do. I got to be like, I've been really thinking a lot about how I can, like, I've been saying boldly go forward, but I guess it probably comes from the 50th law about like being fearless. Um, so I'm, that's what I've been really focused on. I've been like, I've got to be laser focused for this next year. And I've got two weeks basically as we're recording this to the start of the year to like figure out how it's shaping out. So um, 
Yeah, if you want to follow me, I'm on YouTube at Scott Hebert, and um, that's pretty much what I got going on. What about you? Uh, like and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Uh, there'll be some big changes coming to the show, which you'll get announcements for both when I release that. Scott, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Big thanks to everyone for listening to today's episode. I know it's been a while since you got any content on this podcast feed, but the good news is I'll be releasing a couple of other episodes coming out here real shortly, along with a brief idea of what the new 2022 scheduling is going to look like. So thank you again for listening. Thanks to Scott for joining us on our end of the year wrap up. You can find more about Scott by checking out his YouTube page. Also, by checking out his podcast, Dispatches from a Wild Man, wherever podcasts can be heard, along with his new website, scotthebert.ca. There, you can order artwork from Scott himself if you'd like to. Thanks again for listening. This has been Terrence Leahy and the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, reminding you to keep farming the dream.